Gracious God, we just ask that you would speak to us through your holy word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your eyes, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, every day, at around 11 a.m., outside of Buckingham Palace, this thing happens called the changing of the guard. And it doesn't matter when you go, it doesn't matter if it's really bad weather, it doesn't matter how early you get there, there's always going to be a crowd. And, you know, you can go online ahead of time and get, like, tips from people about where's the best place to stand and what time you should get there to get a really good spot. But no matter when, you are not going to be the only person with the idea to go see this event. It is going to be a big group of people, and you're going to be rubbing shoulders with people, and they're going to be pressing in on you, because for some reason, this little ceremony draws people. And so they come early, they want to get a good spot, and the Queen's Guard does their little choreographed march, and maybe you want to hear the band play, or the drum corps, or you really want to see the cavalry march by, and so you got to get there to get the best spot. And you have to go if you go to London, right? Because like, that's the only way to get the full London experience. And so you put up with the crowd, standing shoulder to shoulder with strangers, people who don't really respect personal bubbles, maybe, lots of selfie sticks waving high because you can't actually see anything that's going on, standing on tiptoes, people pushing in front of you, whining kids on parents' shoulders. But everyone stays and endures the crowd because they really want to see what's going on. And that's kind of where we find Jesus in our text today. Before this woman comes forward, he's in the middle of pressing crowds. And out of that crowd steps the suffering woman, and she touches the hem of Jesus' robe, and she's healed. And there's something about this woman that sets her apart from the multitude, right? And it's not her physical condition. She is unique in this crowd. You see, all these people who are there, they've been following Jesus around for a while. They've been hearing him preach and teach. They've been watching him perform miracles. They've been enduring this crowd because they want to be near him. They want to follow him. They want to see what's going to happen next. They believe in him. But they're missing something. Something that this woman figures out. That there's a difference between belief and experience. So I really get the crowd here. I can really resonate with them. Back when I was a Master's of Divinity student at United Theological Seminary up in Dayton, Ohio, shout out to my place of work, I attended their um, Holy Spirit seminar. And the year that I went for the first time, Randy Clark was the event speaker. And he preached about divine healing, and then we transitioned into this trans like time of ministry, 
and the band was playing worship songs, and Randy was praying for people, and he invited people up, you know, to be prayed for, for healing, or for whatever, whatever you might need prayer for. If you wanted to encounter God, you were invited forward. And people flooded the altar, and I just watched as the Holy Spirit began to move. I watched as people were being healed and set free and shared testimonies. I I saw so many people having these supernatural encounters and these divine experiences before my eyes. And I sat in my seat, content to be a part of the crowd. Now, I believed in what was going on. I had faith that Jesus' power to work in people's lives was, was real. I was seeing it happen before me. I didn't doubt it. And, you know, I was seeking to follow Jesus faithfully. But there's a difference between belief and experience. And I wasn't quite willing that day to take the risk to step forward and exercise my belief. Because, you know, there is a little bit of a risk, right? Like, what if I go forward and nothing happens? If I go up for prayer and I don't have this kind of experience that I'm seeing other people have? Or, you know, what if I go forward and something does happen? And it changes me. And it asks something further of me. So I get the crowd in our text today. I've been there. They're following Jesus. They can't get enough of him. They love what they're seeing. They believe in what's going on. They believe in Jesus, but they still need to learn how to put that belief into practice, to go from simply hearing to doing, and they don't really know how to take the next step, to turn their faith into action. Or maybe they don't want to take the risk, but the woman does it. She presses through that crowd to touch Jesus, and she's healed. And despite this multitude of people, this shoulder-to-shoulder crowd pressing in, Jesus notices her. He knows that someone has touched him and was healed by his power, and he asks, who touched me? And everyone nearby denies it, and Peter's like, it is super crowded here. We're all rubbing shoulders. Everyone's pressing in on us. You know, like, no one really touched you. And Jesus is insistent. It's not just this crowd. Someone has touched him. You know, it's because touching Jesus is an experience. It's significant. There's something special about touch, isn't there? If you've ever been with a child in a toy aisle, you know that this is true. You can say those fruitless words hoping for no incident, right? You can look, but you can't touch. And then a moment later, inevitably, a child's going to press a button and some toy is going to start making noise. And you might say, look with your eyes, not with your hands. But every kid knows that there's a difference between looking and touching, and you can't really know the cool stuff a toy can do until you have it in your hands. You need to feel it. You need to experience it. And it's like that with Jesus. 
The fullness of the knowledge of him cannot be experienced just by watching him from a distance. The woman wanted that experience, and so she went forward, and she touched him, and she experienced healing. But now, you know, she's kind of afraid, because Jesus calls her out. He asks, who touched him? And it took all the courage she had, I imagine, to, to reach out and touch his robe to begin with. But she was in a desperate place. She was at the end of her rope, and so she reached out, and she touched him, but, but she kind of hoped that she could remain anonymous. But Jesus isn't finished with her yet, so he calls her out, and she has to step forward again. And she comes forward, and she is trembling. She is falling before Jesus, but she's declaring it was her that touched him, and she testifies. She testifies to this healing she experienced, and Jesus responds with peace that her faith has made her well. And it's, you know, it's no wonder that she was afraid to come forward. Someone like her just being in that crowd was risky, right? She's been suffering from this bleeding condition for years, so she is unclean in her community. She's not even supposed to be in that crowd anonymously. She should have stayed away from the crowd. She should have announced her presence and with it her shame so that people knew not to come near her, not to touch her, not to brush up against her in the crowd. But she has the faith to risk it. Hoping to slip back into the crowd so that Jesus, you know, doesn't notice. But he does and he calls her out and he asks, who touched me? And he doesn't give up on this. And so she's forced to step back out of the crowd. And you know, there's a risk in revealing herself. But Jesus doesn't want to heal her anonymously. And so while the disciples are trying to brush it aside to keep going, you know, they're on a mission, they have other important things to do, Jesus is insistent. Now, it's not that Jesus wants to know who it was that touched him, because he actually he already knew. He didn't need to identify her for himself. He knew her before she ever came forward hoping to be healed. He knew what it was she needed. He knew when power went out from him and that she was healed by it. He's not asking for himself because he's like, oh, who was that? No, he is asking for her. Because it isn't just that touching Jesus' robe healed her. It's Jesus who healed her, and he healed her because she acted on faith. By stepping forward in faith and touching Jesus, she opened herself up to the working of God's transformative power in her life. And when Jesus calls her out, he's letting her know that she's not escaped his notice. He's letting her know that he knows her. And so he pronounces this peace over her, this sign of her salvation, this salvation that's so much more than, than, than her healing that she's experienced. It's a fullness 
of restoration to new life, to new life in Christ, to new life in her community. And through this healing moment, she experiences all that Jesus can do for her. So Jesus doesn't want to heal her anonymously, but he wants to heal her because he knows her, because he loves her, because he wants her to know him fully. Jesus doesn't want to heal you anonymously either. He wants to heal you because he knows you and he loves you and he wants you to know him fully. Jesus doesn't just call her out for her own sake either, though. He also calls her out for the crowd. While it certainly is a risk for her to come forward, especially in this environment, it's also a further demonstration of her belief. Jesus is calling her to own her action so that the crowd will know. When she first stepped out and touched him, it was, after all, an act of faith, but now by owning it, she can bear witness to the crowd that's gathered. By risking the loss of her anonymity in this crowd, she can give testimony to the transformative power of Jesus. Jesus doesn't heal us only for ourselves. So, about six months ago, I joined a band. Not like a musical band, we don't play instruments and sing, we're a Wesleyan band meeting. And every week, I get together with these three other young married women and we share our lives with each other and we confess our sins. And we talk about where we're failing and where God is delivering us and we pray for each other and we try to hold each other accountable. And again and again, I found in this intimate setting how God uses what one of us might be going through or the experiences one of us has had to help another of us. And each week, yes, each week we have new things to confess, but we also have things to rejoice in, testimonies of God's miraculous and life-changing power. It is anything but anonymous. And, you know, as one of us might share about how God has delivered us or healed us, or changed us, or helped us, another one who might be struggling in a similar area has hope. Now, the Holy Spirit can do that in her life, too. God heals us for ourselves, yes, but he also heals us for others. So that by our testimony, others may have the courage to step out in faith as well. Stepping out of the crowd, it's not always easy, right? We've already established that there's a risk to it. And sometimes we're afraid. We just want to stay in the crowd because maybe we don't want everyone else to know our mess. Maybe we don't want everyone else to know how we've been sick or what has bound us or whatever it is that we needed Jesus to fix. Or we're afraid because we don't really want to risk the change. We're kind of content. We don't really want Jesus to transform our lives. We just want to stay where we are, observe Jesus from a distance. Believe in him. Yes, follow after him from a distance because we want to see what he's doing, but we want to continue living this comfortable Christian life without experiencing the fullness 
of what Jesus has to offer us. So there was this man, and he went on his first cruise ever. I don't know if you've been on a cruise. I went on one a few years ago. It was pretty awesome. So he's this hardworking guy. He's scrimped and saved, and he's finally able to afford this week-long Caribbean getaway. You know, he's been planning this trip for years, and when he finally makes the plans, he realizes that maybe his budgeting was a little off, and he's not going to have quite the spending money he had hoped. But he's thinking it'll still be worth it to go, because he'll get to experience these exotic locations and see beautiful beaches and enjoy exciting activities on this luxury ship. And like everyone who's ever heard anyone talk about a cruise, he's heard about the food on the cruise. Those fancy four-course meals by top-notch chefs, and he thinks to himself, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to afford that. You see, he didn't know that the price that he paid for this trip included his food. So he went on his cruise. He brought with him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for every meal that he would be traveling. Now, he had a great cruise, you know. He got to meet some cool people. He got to see some great shows and places, and he enjoyed the views. But every day, when people would go to dinner, he would walk by that luxury dining room and return to his cabin and unwrap another peanut butter and jelly sandwich and eat alone in his room. He didn't know that the cruise was all inclusive. He didn't know that there was so much more available to him. And if you've ever been on a cruise of any kind or an all-inclusive vacation or gone to a resort like that, you know that really the food can be the best part. And he didn't get to get those fresh gourmet sushi rolls off the upper deck in the afternoon made different each day just for him. He didn't have the experience of sleeping in one morning and just ordering whatever room service he wanted for breakfast. He didn't have the experience of getting to dinner and liking all the options so much that he ordered three entrees. I'm sure this guy had a good cruise, but he missed out on the fullness of it because he didn't know that it was all-inclusive. Friends, I've got some good news for you today. The Christian life is all-inclusive. Maybe you're like this guy. Maybe you're not taking advantage of all that God wants to offer you. Hear me now. Our faith is all-inclusive. Maybe you've been comfortable in the crowd, believing but not experiencing, not putting that faith into action, observing from a distance but not being willing to step forward and touch, afraid to step out of the crowd and reach towards Jesus a little bit closer. Friends, Jesus has more for you. We don't have to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for every meal kind of faith. Our faith is all inclusive. We don't have to stay in the crowd and follow Jesus from the sidelines, liking what we see and hear, but afraid to have an experience. Jesus doesn't want to simply save us. He wants 
to sanctify us. He doesn't just want to forgive us. He wants to set us free and heal us completely. Jesus is calling us out of the crowd. And all we have to do is step forward in faith. Friends, Jesus has more for you. He wants to heal you completely of whatever it is that is binding you. He wants to restore you fully. He wants to free you from whatever the pain and brokenness that exists in your life. He has something more for you. And he wants to give you a deeper and new experience of him. He wants you to step out of the crowd and put your faith into action and allow yourself to be known by him, to have the courage to reach out and touch the hem of his robe, to touch Jesus and experience for yourself the life-changing power that comes from knowing him and being fully known by him. So take the risk. Take that first step. Reach out for a little bit more.